and welcome to Unauthorized Disclosure. I am one of your hosts, Rania Kalik, here with my co-host, Kevin Gastola. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Rania. Uh, Kevin and I are really excited to have on the show today um, my good friend, Imran Siddiqui. He is a blogger and the chairman of the Council on Islam- American Islamic Relations, um, the Arizona chapter. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Imran. Thanks for having me, Rania and Kevin. <laughs> so, so we're going to talk about um, the stuff that you're basically doing on a daily basis, which is monitoring the insane amount of hate that seems to be increasing against Muslims in this country, um, particularly from the right wing. Uh, so there's lots to talk about, but I, let's start off with something that like you've been tweeting about today um, and I've been uh, watching today, which is super disturbing. These videos that are being posted by this guy named John Ritzheimer. He is the uh, the dude who organized an armed protest outside the um, Islamic Cultural Center in Phoenix, which I believe that's where you're, you're based, right? Yeah, that's Phoenix, correct. And that's where this guy is from? Yeah, he lives in Phoenix, so basically... And he's a former Marine. Yeah, he's a former Marine. Uh, he plays up on that quite a bit, but... Um, you know, there's been a lot of stuff building up to that uh, in the last few years and, you know, e- even building up in the last few months. So first, we're we're seeing a lot of influx of these hate speakers uh, coming in and out of Phoenix, like Pamela Geller, Brigitte Gabriel. Uh, there's even localized versions of it. Also, Dr. Zudi Jasser is based out of Phoenix as well. So even though he's Muslim, he's He's also, uh, you know, a, a useful idiot for the Islamophobia industry, essentially. So he reinforces the same things that the Gellers and the Robert Spencers and the Daniel Pipes of the world uh, say as well. So he's he's very prominent in. He's a star. In, in, he's a, and he's a star on Fox News. Well, he, he's he's very prominent in in local media, like because he thinks they they believe he's giving a, a authentic Muslim point of view. So there's always been an undercurrent that's that's going on over here, but then. There's been a buildup more and more recently, especially in the aftermath of uh, what happened with the Garland shooting. Uh, I'm sure everybody's heard of that, where there was this absurd cartoon contest that Pamela Geller was holding, and nobody was giving it any attention. It was literally 99% over. There was just some like random spare reporter from Dallas rep- reporting on what was going on there, and he's like, this is boring, nothing's happening here. And then all of a sudden, he tweets out, gunshots heard outside of of the event. And I guess basically two guys from, from Phoenix drove up there, made a thousand mile, (laughs) mile trek. And yeah, this is a very heavily armed, uh, like there was, there's tons and tons of police and, and things like that there. So they, they basically got shot down by the police officers that were there. Thankfully, nobody was, was hurt from the event. There was just uh, one security guard that was grazed by this, but this basically, was being painted as the next 9-11 by the right-wing media. You know, Pamela Geller comes out and says, we're at war now, you know, we're at war, basically, and sending all these types of dog whistles to her to her following base. So there was a backlash. And just to be up- clear, by the way, like for listeners who aren't familiar with Pamela Geller, and I'm sure you are unless you live under a rock, I just like to note that she is, I mean, she her her blog and her hate speech has incited a lot of violence. Most um, noteworthy is Anders Breivik. She was like cited several times in his manifesto before 
um, which is why, you know, uh, about why he killed all those people in Norway. 84 people were murdered. She was mentioned dozens of times in his manifesto. Um, even the FBI released a bulletin that that uh, right-wing groups are going to are actively trying to start targeting Muslim groups and, and mosques. And one of the key people who they're citing, and that is Pamela Geller, yet she's still allowed to go around and, and freely spew hate. Uh, as much as she wants to under the guise of free speech. Yeah, she's, I mean, it's also her organization that's behind all these bus ads that we always see in, like, from San Francisco to New York being like, Islam equals Hitler. Right. <laughs> Things like this, yeah. Anyways. Exactly. So <laughs> she's, she she has her role. She's the the main spokesperson of the Islamophobia industry. She get, she makes millions of dollars a year in spreading anti-Islam hate. And she's smart about it. She's a business person about it, so she's well compensated. And then the goal for her, obviously, she's she's extremely pro-Israel, and she cheers the massacres that happen to you know children in Gaza, and you know any basically any massacre that happens to Muslims all over the world. She denies the Bosnian genocide. She's oh, I didn't know uh, that. She's pro the Rohingya genocide. She believes the Rohingya what? are jihadists. Uh, so whoa, yeah, this is this is the extent of the craziness that they, that they spew. So, and she she's smart about it, but she also has the hopes that maybe one out of the tens of thousands of people that follow her and get her message out of one of those people, there's bound to be some type of of unhinged character that may do something violent. So that spills over into what's happening in Phoenix. So after this Garland, you know, little fiasco, this mosque uh, became sort of on the radar because uh, two of the shooters at, at one time attended that mosque. You know, there's... All of the lectures and all of the materials from the mosque are online, and they're very moderate people, and no radical message was being sent from this mosque. Still, these people, for whatever reason, you know, self-radicalized or whatever, I hate that term, but um, they went out there and they, they did that. So the, the mosque was essentially on front street in terms of, oh, this is the new terror mosque in, in America. And so a group of, of people... Well, first, let me rewind a little bit. There started to be to be violent death threats towards a few different mosques in Phoenix. So there was letters being sent to uh, the Tempe Mosque, and there was also a letter sent to the mosque, uh, this mosque that we're talking about here. It said that we're you know we're going to target your worshippers while uh, you know while they're worshiping. We know who the the board of directors are, and we're going to. Uh, target your families inside your houses and we're going to burn your mosque down and so it's very explicit so the actually the hate crimes division of the phoenix pd and uh the fbi actually had to get involved with this because this is more than just like a, a random threat we get hate mail every day we get all types of hate mail and <laughs> you know i know you get hate mail as well but no, I this is it. starting I it. it comes to the level that you <laughs> yeah you so this this is extremely explicit in terms of what they're doing so when we're talking to the uh, law enforcement offices, they, they were basically saying, oh, did you know, by the way, that there's this thing happening outside of this Phoenix mosque? There's a there's supposed to be a, a rally that's outside, and there are these armed bikers that are going to come up. So that's the first that we, we actually heard of it. So, so the issue that comes up there is what are you going to do about it? You know, like, because there's people within our community who wanted to keep it quiet. Uh, and sort of just sweep it under the rug, just let these people come and spew their hatred. And, you know, they they encourage on their Facebook page to, you know, quote-unquote, exercise your Second Amendment rights, which obviously means your gun and 
brandish it openly, trying trying to intimidate the right to worship of other Americans, uh, essentially. So, so we had to make the decision: what are we going to do about this? We have are we going to either publicize this, or are we going to keep this, you know, keep this under under wraps? So we definitely chose with with making it public because nobody should live uh, under fear. Of, of violence or threat, you know, in terms of your right to worship over here, or just be just a regular citizen. So, so it it garnered a lot of global attention uh, from that standpoint. But as a, you know, and it, it, most of it, you know, ninety nine percent of it was positive. But at the same time, a negative externality of that was that this guy, the organizer of the protest, John Ritzheimer, this unhinged individual got all of the attention that he wanted. These people thrive off of attention. These are sociopathic individuals who have nothing better to do. And you can tell just by watching his videos that he's that he's completely unhinged and he's detached from reality. But as yes, it's really scary. I mean, he like for people who haven't seen his videos and they have like uh, like videos some of his videos have a million or more views. Um right. And, like, I mean, his, like, Facebook page is blown up. He's got, I mean, if you look at the comment section on these videos, it's, like, um, it's, like, calling for genocide. <laughs> like, people yeah. are very excited. And he's, like, it's, like, more unhinged than you even would think. He just goes from, like, talking real soft to, like, shouting. And right. he's, like, in his car driving, and he'll just start shouting about, like, Islam needs to be banned. Muslims need to go back to their countries. And, like, I'm going to drink the blood of, like, I'm gonna drink your blood from the like from your skulls when I'm done with you, like crazy right. shit. Right. So then you, you would think that that would constitute a pretty specific threat. There's yeah, a minority well, community he, where one percent of the population, and then there's a guy waving. He's brandishing guns. In yeah, his, I was gonna say there's the one with the Quran. Like he literally did. He made a video where he like is is like is like reading like parts of the Quran, which I don't even think he's like really reading, but he's like, he's yelling about the Quran in the video. He's out in the desert and then he puts it down and like goes far away from it and takes out an AR 15 and just starts shooting a Quran, like this Quran. Right. Like it's like, if that's an incitement to like go kill Muslims, I'm not sure what is. Yeah. So part of it, it's comedic to see how stupid and small minded these people are. It's the same thing as like frying bacon on the edge of a, of an AR-15, these these people are just you know in their li- own little own little cocoon. They think that you know throwing bacon at a mosque or like shooting a Quran is going to make Muslims bow in submission or, or melt like the the wicked <laughs> witch or something like that. So yeah, it's 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 absurd. But at the same time, look at what happens. Look at his fan base and how it's grown over the last two months alone. This was just. He was demonized in the media, but then, and this is part of the thing is that I think a positive that comes out of this is that this is bringing this all out into the forefront. Like a lot of this is behind the scenes. There are a lot of hateful, uh, bigoted people who are out there who still love the Confederate flag, who still, uh, you know, are are white supremacists and so on and so forth. And it's it's behind the scenes. But now all these people feel with anti-Muslim sentiment that this is a safe level of hate or safe topic of hate that they can direct their their angst towards so a lot of people are coming out in the open he gets you know a few hundred shares uh thousands of likes on his facebook posts and so as an externality of this this is this is stemming to i think they're actually planning another protest on october 9th and 10th apparently they're doing some type of global mosque uh protest so there's people in multiple cities who will be going they're just saying go to your local mosque and 
you know, exercise your constitutional <laughs> rights. Go to your local philosophy your gun and stand outside yeah. and shout at people. So this this is mm-hmm. getting to a, to a very concerning point for uh, for us in in the in the Muslim community because now it's just it's basically what is what is law enforcement going to do about this? This is this is crossed over the line of free speech. This is crossed over the line of Second Amendment. Are you going to wait until a bullet actually enters that's into the I'm, body of a Muslim that's in order amazing. to call it like a hate crime? That's, that's what's amazing to me is like it's. I mean, it just this would not be, this would not be acceptable, um, if this were any other like religious house of worship, um, for people to brandish for 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 people to brandish guns outside of a house of worship and start shouting at families. Um, I mean, like you've got like what do you you've got kids like what do you tell your kids like about people doing this? Yeah, it's it's sad. I have three sons, so they they see me going for these interviews on TV, and they see me on TV, and they hear me at, talking about Islamophobia. So my you know my son older sons ask me, "What is Islamophobia? Why are you always talking about Islamophobia? That's all you talk about." <laughs> so uh, so I so for them, they don't have a concept of people hating Muslims just because they're Muslims, and that's. It's sort of sad, you know, when you when you think about it, you you're so innocent where you have this hope, this outlook on life and people don't judge one another based off of their, you know, looks, their color, their creed or whatever. So for them, it's very innocent. They don't understand that people there are people out there that, you know, hate them for their religion without even knowing them, essentially. Well, so I, I want to shift it just for a moment um, to. uh to like the law enforcement aspect of this. I mean, as you know, it, we, we might, you mentioned briefly that there was this report that came out, um, an FBI report this week that was leaked and published. Um, and it's like a, a bulletin for law enforcement, um, that was released in May to law enforcement across the country saying that these, um, right-wing militias are, uh, are expanding or are beginning to target Muslims, um, and, and 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 mock like in their in their institutions, right? Um, and that um, and basically what you said about yeah mentions like the sort of right wing media apparatus without actually saying that, but it does cite Pamela Geller and Fox News as instigating a lot of the wild conspiracy theories right. that are um, that these individuals are adopting. Um, but then it also one thing I found interesting about that report is this one line where it says. Uh, it, it basically it says that um, that the targeting of Muslims is quote a product of ideology that views Muslims collectively with suspicion, um, and I found that interesting because it's kind of what the FBI does and law enforcement in general does. Right. So I'm wondering, like, you know, it's it, it must be difficult being up in a position where like you're as a Muslim and as like Muslim institutions you're under threat. Um, and at the same time, the people that you're supposed to be able to turn to for protection are actually also targeting you right it's a weird dynamic because okay if you look at on one hand let's let's rewind a little bit one of these groups uh, that tried to so there's a there's a enclave in upstate new york called islamberg which is little whatever you want to call like a hamlet a little town of muslims up in the mountains uh they're african-american but they follow like a a Sufi, uh, Sufi sheikh uh, in Pakistan, I believe, and they're very peaceful people. They're from all accounts by by FBI and other law enforcement. <laughs> and uh, but in the right wing media, it's and amongst these crazy unhinged groups, 
this rumor has been sp- spread like people along the lines of Josser and Daniel Pipes and these types of people spread this thing that, oh, there's a, a terrorist training camp up in upstate New York and it's called Islamberg and uh, they're training jihad up there and they belong to this this offshoot of Jamaat al-Fukra or something along those lines. And so, and they made a documentary about this. This is in Zudi Jasser's third jihad documentary as well. So it's it's incitement against a community of people. But then, so this little blurb or this little indictment just came across the news, you know, in the news wire that said that this former congressional candidate named Robert Doggart planned to go and uh, up there with a militia from South Carolina and actually commit a slaughter against the people of that community. And so yeah, this is one... like no attention, by the way. This happened no like attention. in May. This indictment came out. Yeah. And the thing is that the guy is out on bail while he's, while he's, uh, yeah, the judge concluded trial. that he didn't pose a threat, even though like he admitted to like plotting to kill people. So he was very overt in, in what he was saying. He said, we will be cruel to them. You know, if we have to fight down to the machete, we will. There's women and children who are over there, their schools. It's, it, so, you, they wanted to burn down the that, the mosques over there and and slaughter individuals and oh yeah you know they don't pose any threat and so the maximum that he faces is zero to five years in prison so and a fine ba- got the fine yeah so back to the FBI situation like imagine if this story the cent- central figure of this story was a Muslim who was planning to do this against any t- other type of community this would be national news like people would be you know, running in the streets, <laughs> talking about this thing. Like, do you hear about this this jihadist who was planning on going and massacring X amount of people? But so these types of people, whereas you hear about like that Tariq Mehana case uh, a few years back where the guy essentially was just translating documents on, on the Internet and he got 17 years in prison for that. So there's this double standard that exists between how Muslim suspects are prosecuted and how, how people who are attacking the Muslim community are are prosecuted as well and you're seeing the statistics you see the statistics that the vast majority of terror threats that are out there are coming from right-wing militants you know white white supremacist militants in the u.s but the way that it's being uh, adjudicated is is imbalanced towards the war on terror and how the the uh the money is being spent in dc essentially so yeah it's it's weird because, okay, I'm seeing all this crazy stuff on a day-to-day basis with this Ritzheimer guy. I mean, everything that he posts on a day-to-day basis can constitute a threat. So when I'm reporting this to the FBI, are they just, like, brushing this off? Or is this, like, considered to be a real threat? You know, because I know if a Muslim was doing this uh, or, or, you know, making these types of unhinged crazy videos that they would be uh, they would be like taking it, it much, yeah, much did. more seriously. They'd be, like, disappeared. <laughs> Like, yeah, they'd be freaking in Guantanamo right, right now. Right, seriously. So. Uh, um, go ahead, Kevin, sorry. Well, this paragraph here in this document that you're talking about is really absurd, so I'm going to read it. Assuming no new incidents or high-profile controversies relating to Islam or Islamic extremism raise domestic extremist intent levels, whatever that means, the likelihood domestic extremists will harass or commit violence against Muslims or religious institutions is low. But then it goes on and says, this assessment is made with low confidence. Okay. (laughs) And then they continue, as domestic loan actors and small cells possess varied capability to attack Muslim targets. Successful acquisition of resources and detailed planning raise capability levels and, combined with heightened intent, likelihood of violence. So why is the FBI so schizophrenic? 
Well, it's not. It's literally. It's just giving you two different scenarios, and it's telling you the likelihood. There's there's a there's a higher likelihood of there's a high likelihood of violence to happen, and like. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like anything's being done to mitigate it. Like, that's one thing that's fi- that I find super concerning. And, I mean, you can maybe, if you want to talk a little bit more about that, like, what like what do you guys, what can you do? Like, what can you do when this is taking place? Like, is there precautions that that's the community the can like, take? Like, I don't, you know, it's like if no one's going to do anything about these people, about, like, the incitement and hate speech. Um, and I don't know what can be done about that because, yeah, you know, like, what's the line between First Amendment and incitement to violence? Like, Right. There's like the well, there's a look, disagreement look, about that. Look what happened in, in the UK. Like you just got news today that uh eighty one year old man died of his injuries from from a bias attack over there. So you see this level of hatred bubbling, bubbling, you know, it continues. This is like the second or third person we've heard in, in the last year uh getting attacked and dying over there and you know, they don't even have the the gun nuts that we have over here. So you have people with with these weapons, a lot of people who are are on unhinged and who have you know nothing to lose really, and you're seeing the proliferation of this rhetoric across social media. So now, you know, probably these people wouldn't be able to pass their message so quickly years and years ago. But now it's like you know they have all their little groups together, they have their event pages, they have their closed groups, and it's a lot of it's a lot of concerning rhetoric. So. You know, people from my community ask me, what do we do in this situation? I get reports every single day of this guy or similar guys like him. You know, this is not only here in Phoenix. There are people in Tucson who are doing the same thing. We're actually, you know, if you really, like, start digging just for, like, five, ten minutes, you find people. People are in the desert right now uh, offering tactical classes uh, to just regular, you know, regular citizens who want to learn how to do guerrilla warfare with the intent of, you know, <laughs> carrying this out against Muslims or, or uh, Mexican immigrants uh, in the in the desert right now, and nobody's really doing anything about it. Oh, it's Second Amendment. So we just continue to tell people to, you know, to be vigilant, like in terms of the mosque, like, you know, make sure that every, every institution has a camera system, make sure you re- report people who are suspicious out there. And even for us, I mean, we've gotten threats in our office as well. So I, I want to make sure that my employees are safe in my office. Also, it's, it's extremely concerning. But on yeah, a local no, level, it, se- oh, it seems like it seems like the local police have been much more responsive, and they, you know, they're they've been better at keeping an eye on on these guys as opposed to. I just feel like there's there's this disconnect. You know, if if you can if we're all Americans here. Why aren't you? Why aren't you treating us with the same respect as every single American? Every single American has the right to live in peace without the threat of of worship. And you know, there's not really any type of guidance or, um, you know, any type of what do you call it, like action against these types of groups that are obviously a concern out there uh by by federal law enforcement and i just can't imagine the same like like lackluster response if this were synagogues we were talking about right even like so after that armed mosque protest there was actually like a interfaith rally afterwards and there was you know the mosque was filled with people from all different religions and the guy from the the local synagogue he was brave enough to say that i was like i know for a fact that if this was my synagogue or if this was a historical black church or any type of other house of worship, there would be a global outcry 
on the situation and you know we have to do things to change that and you know that's that's the hard question to ask there yeah i mean yeah the the, the sort of dehumanization of muslims um has really taken a toll to the point where there can be armed protests outside of mosques and people don't really like think twice about it um on that note i did want to ask you about um about a couple things uh first of all um I'm not sure which one to go with first. Well, how about this? I just really quickly like want to point out that um, there's often this thing. People will often say this is a part of like a lot of this is backlash to ISIS. And I think for, for you know, to such a certain extent, like um, the fact that ISIS is in the media a lot um, and the media does a really amazing job of conflating ISIS with all Muslims, <laughs> um, right. you know, that that probably has something to do with this like increased, vi- you know, violent rhetoric. Um but, you know, I don't know that that's so much the case because, you know, then again, there was like American Sniper came out, the movie. Right. Um, and that had nothing to do with ISIS. And suddenly people were like issuing death threats against Muslims like all over the place. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how true that is. But I've also noticed something strange where um, there's like other issues that right wing extremists are usually into. Um, like for right now, it's like the Confederate flag is a big deal. Right. The taking down of the Confederate flag at like at the state at state houses, the possibility of taking down Confederate monuments is like really, really concerning to right wing extremists. Right. And their backlash towards that seems to be like spilling over into anti-Muslim hate, which is bizarre. Um, Yeah. And I noticed that like recently with like the George Zimmerman, you know, teaming up with this guy who has a gun store um, where he has a sign outside that says no Muslims allowed or something. It's a Muslim free zone. Yeah. He won't let Muslims come to his gun range. Um, and him and George Zimmerman teamed up to like sell paintings of that George Zimmerman makes of Confederate flags to save free speech and protest Muslims. I'm not really sure what they, what they're doing. That's, but... that's the, that's the spokesman you want for your cause. Right. George Zimmerman. You know, he, <laughs> no, no one else is, is a better indicator. I think the only worse, no, he he might be worse than OJ at this point. So. <laughs> but. I mean, yeah, but but yeah, I mean, it is interesting though that like it's like this these other issues are spilling over into, and I think that you kind of maybe you said it well earlier where you said it's like it's like okay to hate Muslims, like right. it's acceptable, so it's easier to do that. So I don't know if that's why, but like I don't know if you have any thoughts on on why it's spilling over. Into it's just that. the the rhetoric spills down. You have an Islamophobia industry, and there's been lots of different studies on this, like you know. Center for American Progress did their study, Fear Inc., and that showed how much money was flowing into just a handful of groups. And then CARE did another study in 2013, and they showed $119 million flows into uh, 60 to 70 groups uh, in a three, four-year span. So it's a trickle-down effect. You know, you have people at the highest levels in terms of, of like, okay, let's look at the fun, uh, the funders of Islamophobia, like the the abstraction fund or the Klarman fund or Nina Rosenwald or people like that, they have a goal in terms of shifting public opinion, and so you know they they pay money to a lot of these these elected officials who who spew hatred on on their stuff. You have like the Alan West of the world, or you have the Ted Cruz's now, uh, who are constantly just spewing anti-Islam rhetoric. Scott Walker today just said that. You know, there are a handful of good, moderate Muslims out there who, you know, so a handful. So out of like uh, 1.5 billion, now there's just a handful of good Muslims. It used to be just, uh, you know, there's a handful of bad Muslims, but now it's been completely <laughs> turned around. And his chief foreign policy advisor advised, uh, you know, uh, wanted to nuke Muslim capitals back in the 80s during like the, you know, whole Iran conflict. So 
this is it's a it's a whole ecosystem of money being poured into these groups and then it trickles down and then even like lobbying groups so like the NRA this year at their at their national convention they had a a seminar uh, a seminar what if islamic extremists take over your city so this is the intersection of gun culture and anti-islam sentiment uh you you know converging in one place what are what are the chances that uh, uh islamic extremists will seize control over an american city it's it's basically like terror porn uh, for these people, they attend these these, and this is the biggest gun group in the country. So now it's spilling over into a lot of that stuff. People like George Zimmerman, he has nothing better to do. These people thrive off of attention; they thrive off of their hatred. So they all unite around this stuff. Why do you think that you're seeing? Uh, you know, there's been four or five Muslim-free zones that have been announced in in uh, the U.S. One's in Florida, one's in Oklahoma, one's in like New York somewhere. Um, and another one I think was in New Hampshire like and these are all like stores, gu- like gun, gun stores? stores. Yeah. So these are all, uh, so it's basically riling up the base of, of gun owners. You, you want something, you want something to, to be perceived as your tyranny or as your enemy. And they're basically using Islam as uh, the fear of Islam, even though we're 1% of the population, we apparently pose this existential threat to taking over the entire U S so, yeah, I mean, it's the subculture of people that's out there. And, you know, I don't know what's going to what's going to happen here. It's hard to say you can't control uh, you can't control the facts. These people have their own news. They have people like Glenn Beck who are espousing irresponsible rhetoric on a day to day basis. He has a huge, uh, you know, the same thing with like these Alex Jones types and, uh, you know, people in the right wing media, Fox News. So it's it's a constant bombardment with this information. And the thing is that. Um, you know, you even see like these anti, like a mosque got set on fire in Ohio um, a few a few years ago, and the guy was asked like, "What do you know about Muslims?" He's like, Any, "Everything I know, I learned from Fox News." So, <laughs> so that is literally, you know, if, if you're choosing to get your information from a, a false place, then you're obviously going to have these types of crazy views, and it's going to have this type of output eventually. Wow, I didn't know about the NRA thing. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. The um, and then I, I have one more thing I wanted to ask you about before I know Kevin's got some questions too because you're so knowledgeable. Um, but uh, wh- to what extent does identification with Israel play a role in maybe not just inciting this stuff, but also um, I, you know, at some of the anti-Muslim rallies like the one we saw in Austin, Texas, earlier in the year. Uh, during during like a, a day for Muslims to go to the capital and speak with their elected officials, uh, right. I, I remember seeing there was Israeli flags being waved alongside American flags by people telling or by Texas flags, excuse me, by people shouting at Muslim children who were singing the American national anthem to like you know the, to go back to their countries. Yeah, I mean uh, the Islamophobia industry thrives. Mm-hmm. You know, thrives off of the pro-Israel. Like the, most of the money, or a great deal of the money that's being poured in, is coming from foundations that identify as pro-Israel. So uh, I, I mentioned some of these funds before. You, mm-hmm. I mean, Sheldon Adelson. You know what his cause is. You know, he he paid twenty-five million dollars to uh, Mitt Romney and um, 
you know, these other candidates, uh, Newt Gingrich even supported Newt Gingrich because Newt Gingrich was the most uh, <laughs> Islamophobic guy that was out there. And he, he was willing to say anything, basically, even though back in the 80s, he used to actually represent my district in Georgia. And he was much more in touch with the Muslim community back then. Anyhow, um, wow, yeah, I mean, shocking. a lot of a lot of pro-Israel dollars being uh, uh, spent on spreading Islamophobia, because that's what that's what shifts public opinion um, on that issue. Like, you know, it's, it's easier to support the carpet bombing of, of Gaza and like the checkpoints and people like Muhammad Abu Khadir, uh, you know, this, this toddler that was killed a few, few weeks ago as his family was burned alive. If you dehumanize them, if you have a narrative in your mind that these are, um, as Ayelet Shahid called them little snakes and yeah. you know, you're dehumanizing a whole population of people because they they're Muslim and not even all of them are Muslim. There's they don't even care about the fact that they're <laughs> they're they're Palestinian Christians there as well and people of no faith either. So, um, but yeah, this is this is reflected in in society. One of the one of the uh, Texas Congress women, her name was Molly White. She basically said that she was going to lay out an Israeli flag in her office for when the Muslims came in and she was going to make, <laughs> make the Muslims take a loyalty oath to, um, to, the, to, yeah, to the U.S. in front of the Israeli flag. So, so that's there. Every, every uh, mosque protest you see out there, every, the thing is that there's, there's this, you know, Muslims are uh, part of the fabric of the U.S. They're, they're, they've been around since the slave ships have come over here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arab immigrants have been around since the early 1900s, if not late 1800s. So, you know, Arabs and Muslims are part of the fabric of the United States. So they're basically trying to erase the history of Muslims in this country, trying to sell the narrative that there's no, um, that there's no contribution to society by Muslims and you know, Israel has become Israel's painted as being this the quote unquote canary in a cold mine canary in a cold mine in a cold so mine <laughs> yeah essentially so like one oh you know they have one country and the Arabs have twenty six other countries why you know why can't the why can't the Palestinians just go into into uh, <laughs> um, the Sinai Peninsula they, we should just relocate them so all this type of crazy rhetoric is out there and Pamela Geller what is her only concern her, her her first ad out there was um essentially calling muslim savages in in the war with the civilized man and the savage support the civilized man support israel so that was uh the the content of her of her thing she's that's her number one cause so she's definitely on the front lines daniel pipes does all of his work essentially to support uh, the, uh, you know, the state of Israel as well. So that's, that's the reality of things. So it's, and you see it carry over over there as well. So when Netanyahu's, you know, ordering for Gaza to be bombed and 2,500 children to be killed, you see their Twitter accounts sending out infographics that, you know, Palestinians use their children as human shields. Um, You know, they, they they constantly send out this message of you know Muslims love to become martyrs and Muslims don't love their children and so this this flows both ways that flows over there and it flows over here and people believe that they want to dehumanize their their population in order to dominate it essentially. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 
part two of our interview with Imran. That's right. Instead of having a discussion portion this week, Rainer Kalik and I decided that we would have Imran return to talk some more about Islamophobia, how the government approaches the issue of extremism, violent extremism against Muslims, how it sends out agents and informants into mosques to do dragnet surveillance and, and, and intrude upon places of worship. So, here it is, part two. So another thing I wanted to ask you about was this thing that I believe you followed. We're kind of going back to right-wing terrorism here, right-wing militia types, but uh, this thing of uh, framing Muslims for uh, pre- making like fake plots to in- get right. law enforcement interested in Muslims, it's kind of baffling to me, so I'd like to hear more about this because I saw that you referenced an instance of this in the last couple of weeks, but the way that you referred to it seemed to suggest that this happens multiple times. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the most recent one, uh, let's see, there's, there's been at least three instances of this happening, um, where I believe the first one was in Roswell, Georgia, actually my former hometown where an individual left a, uh, a backpack with an actual improvised explosive device. And apparently it also had a Quran inside of it. I don't think the, the bomb was active or anything like that, but it was basically planted in order to, in order to frame Muslims in terms of, uh, in terms of being a bomb. The guy got caught and he was arrested, uh, uh, you know, a few months ago, but it, you know, once again, did not make national headlines. Then there was another instance a few, uh, a few weeks ago where, I think it was a National Guard, uh, National Guards person um, somewhere in the South. Let me look it up real quick. But another National Guards person, he said that he got a a, a nasty note on his on his uh, windshield saying, you know, you 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 kill our people, we're gonna commit some type of act of terror against you, something of that nature. So that was a second one. Let's see. Yeah, this is this was in. Yes, it was a Georgia National Guardsman. He wrote a fake terrorist death threat against himself in order to, to, to you know, shift public opinion. So that was the second one, and then the third one just happened two days ago. This was a West Virginia man. He was arrested for calling in a bomb threat. Um, I think using some type of some type of hearing impaired company called in a bomb threat that he was going to bomb the Statue of Liberty. He used some type of Arabic uh, pseudonym like Abdul Yassin. So another, you know, in all three cases, these were all, you know, Southern white males who did this. So I just, I just found it funny. I was like, what, why are, you know, why are so many Southern white males trying to frame Muslims for acts of terror? You know, if the whole rhetoric that's out there is that, Islam is inherently violent and Muslims are inherently violent and constantly in the act of doing something, you know, terroristic. So if that's the case, why do you need to make that extra effort to go out and frame Muslims for acts of terror? Are there not enough for you? Or, you know, that's you're basically negating your own thesis right there. Um, And there's there's a lot of 
you know, in addition to that, there, those are three prominent cases that have just happened in the last few months. But there are some some dubious cases that you're seeing out there, like Fox News will flash in and say say that this some type of ISIS inspired graffiti is showing up on on uh, the interstate in Florida somewhere, and it says Allah Akbar and it spells it completely off the wall. So obviously, it's not a Muslim who's going out there and and uh, professing their their love for ISIS, more than likely it's just somebody who's, who's trying to make Muslims look bad. But it's more disturbing in these cases because these involve actual acts of violence uh, um, or, you know, some type of uh, some type of threats that are that are phoned in or, you know, in the guy in Georgia's case, that was an actual plot, you know, a bomb threat. And then the other thing um, I want to talk about, again, involving crackpot people uh, is this trial that's happening right now in New York. Uh, I don't know how much you've been following this, but the question right. I have about it is is a, a fairly general question. Uh, so for listeners, I'm talking about this guy, Glendon Scott Crawford, who apparently wanted to create a death ray device to kill many, many Muslims and even approached two Jewish groups and offered to help them uh, and, and you know, wanted them to uh, give him money or, or he was looking for funding and he was going to go after Israel's enemies and that's why these Jewish groups needed to support him. And at some point, the FBI decided, after this was being reported to them, that they would make him the target of a sting operation, similar to the way that they target Muslims. Right. Uh, and so, uh, I guess... I mean, I, you can share any general reactions you have, but where I'm steering this is, you know, what you um, may think about uh, the way that the government seemed to coax him toward his goal of being able to zap and kill many Muslims. Yeah, I mean, the story itself is absurd when you first read it. Your first reaction is to laugh because, okay, what are... What is the likelihood that a device like that could actually exist? I don't know, how, you know, at what point in being operational that that whole situation was. And secondly, the guy was involved with the Ku Klux Klan, and he's reaching out to Jewish groups. You know, historically the Ku Klux Klan has been, uh, you know, their main target has been Jewish groups uh, and and African Americans. And all of a sudden, I guess they've shifted their their focus, and now they're wanting to wage war against Muslims or something like that. But yeah, it's. I find, you know, that aspect is odd. I don't know how it seems as though they're they're probably, you know, the stuff that we discussed earlier are more clear and present threats that are out there, like people who are forming militias and going out there and shooting, uh, shooting guns on video saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to kill X, Y, Z just today. Like John Ritzheimer said that he wants to squeeze the life out of Louis Farrakhan's body. So I don't know if that's that institutes like a real clear and present threat. Um, you know, guys like this guy, it seems it's hard to say, but in the cases where Muslims are entrapped by the FBI, you know, you see the mo- most of these cases and it's documented in Trevor Aronson's book, uh, inside the terror factory, um, how a lot of these cases, these people don't have the means to actually carry out these attacks, you know, they, but they produce, you know, pretty big headlines. So you have people in upstate New York who, who are just like fumbling over each other, who, you know, they gave FBI informant gave $500 to 
a guy to go buy a weapon. He w- couldn't even accomplish that task right there. So it seems as though in a lot of these cases, people are being made examples out of. So in this case, it seems like this guy, okay, he's, you know, he's a bad enough guy. He had bad in- intentions and, you know, they were able to nicely frame the situation. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> we don't want to see what would happen if the plan got got carried out to fruition because, you know, who who knows what could have happened there. But, yeah, it, it, it is interesting to see how there is a crossover in, in a lot of these in, uh, entrapment cases because that's something that is, is, you know, gravely affecting the Muslim community. Most of the time uh, in, in present day, and the thing is that, you know, we're talking about all these right-wing cases where all these things are happening under... You know, it seems like the mainstream is not really catching on to it or when guys like a Robert Doggart, who we discussed earlier, a lot of these right wing terrorists are captured. There's not really any type of um, media push being made by law enforcement in order to to make that uh, to make them sort of, you know, to, to publicize it. But in the cases where you see, you know, you'll see front page of CNN or Fox News or whatever, you know, a couple from Mississippi plan to go and join ISIS and so on and so forth. And a lot of these times, these types of cases involve uh, some type of FBI, you know, FBI informant or people who are who are coaxing them along as they go along. They probably wouldn't have had the ability to do a lot of these things. So you see some parallels that I don't know if this is if this is going to be a trend in the future in terms of how the in terms of how right wing terrorists are pursued or entrapped. So it'll be interesting to see how these play out. And then we can't predict the future, but one thing I just want to give a nod to is the fact that ideally we're all supposed to have equal justice under the law. So this man is going to get a trial and argue that he was entrapped. And if that's a successful argument, it could be potentially beneficial, although you have terrible bias, I would imagine, among juries and judges and, and, and prosecutors, but still, I have to imagine that if if he would win and convince anyone uh, who, who's, you know, in the position to convict him that he was entrapped, this would be really kind of noteworthy just because of how easy it has been to get people convicted on these entrapment cases. Right, exactly. That that would be interesting to see how that plays out. The things that we know from from just the precedent that's out there is that there is definitely a separate system of justice for Muslims and everybody else who commit the same crime. So if you were to probably have a similar case where this guy, you know, suppose this guy is able to prove that he was entrapped, uh, whereas like a Muslim down the road, you know, if if stuff is still going at at full steam you know at that time and uh you know muslim tries to make that same argument you'll probably see a lot of legal maneuvering and state secrets and uh you know war on terror executive privilege a lot of that type of stuff sort of argued in these cases where they're able to obscure uh justice from being adjudicated in in these types of cases uh the the last thing i want to do ask a, a couple questions about was just something that I took some time to look at and I just was wondering if you had any experience or, or any knowledge about this because it was rather alarming to me um, and it's uh, I wrote about the Islamic Center in Portland 
Uh, and I just was curious, you know, given um, your work with like care, uh, that this place seems to have such a rich history of being uh, targeted by the FBI. And now uh, FBI and ICE have escalated their attack on the, the imam who is the, the leader of this center, uh, going after Mohammed Sheikh Abdurrahman Kariya and uh, trying to get him deported from the country, which I think has a lot to do with him being involved in a no-fly list lawsuit. But um, it's just very striking to me reading about this. There's, there's a whole lot that, uh, that, that we could get into, but I was just curious if, you know, you know, generally there's something about Oregon and the way that the FBI has gone after Muslims that, that continues to stand out today. Yeah, I'm sure it has to do with, with, you know, there's some type of overarching strategy nationally that they have in terms of how they're they're trying to carry out a lot of these cases because you have, uh, I'm sure you've heard the term CVE, Countering Violent Extremism. Um, that's a, a program that's being introduced on a federal level in conjunction with, there's, there's also some Muslim groups who are helping push this uh, this initiative through essentially to try and uh, try and partner up with the government and law enforcement agencies to help countering extremism. You know, it's pretty self-explanatory. So on its surface, obviously all Muslims are, you know, 99.9% of Muslims are for countering extremism. Like we don't want to see extremists um, amongst our mosques, uh, you know, so and so on and so forth. But in this case, it's it's pushing an uh, agenda sort of, you know, like we've pointed out multiple times during this podcast about how prevalent right-wing extremism is and how, how prevalent other types of extremism are. In this case, the government is basically pushing one line that this is, you know, extremism, violent extremism is a Muslim problem. You know, they're not going to churches where, you know, Robert Doggart preached, you know, in starting to talk about how they can prevent their next preacher from carrying out a terrorist attack against Muslims. They're not going to these right-wing militia groups and discussing, you know, to, to squash their rhetoric and to watch out for anybody who might be, uh, might be violent within it, but they are doing this within the Muslim community. So this is taking on, they've piloted this program in three cities, uh, Minneapolis, Boston, and, Los Angeles. So those were three major cities where this was taking place. And now it's starting to take shape in uh, the second wave of cities. Um, Phoenix is one of those cities where they're testing this out. So I don't know if this is, uh, this is a continuation of what happened with the Garland situation, but there has definitely been a massive upswing in FBI activity over here in terms of, you know, community members just being targeted imams being targeted within our community um you know people who have nothing to do with with you know being a person of interest it's just maybe somebody who has like an immigration status issue or somebody who's who they just deem a person of interest so they go and they they harass people they go to their mosque and they they basically put these people in bad situations so i can imagine that what's happening in oregon is is probably similar to that you know you have High-profile cases like the Christmas tree bomber mm-hmm. uh, from a few years back. So I'm sure 
that is sort of like a gateway. Okay, we did have a high-profile case here in Portland a few years ago, so now this gives us carte blanche to go. There's not that many mosques in Oregon. There's like you know, maybe a couple in Portland, like maybe three or four. There's maybe one in Eugene. There might be a couple scattered throughout the state. So in, within that state as a whole, there may be five or six uh, people or five or six mosques over there. There may be, uh, you know, a lot of this has to do with refugee populations as well. Um, they make easier targets. People from Somali backgrounds have been targeted much more if they, you know, like the, the issues with Al-Shabaab and people going back and forth. So this provides that that type of, of context or this gateway for the FBI to come in and create this create this doubt. So yeah, we have we have questions, that, you know, if you know anybody who may be going traveling, blah, blah, blah. And so this causes a lot of mistrust within communities. This is this is a mechanism that, you know, the FBI uses to divide communities. They can, you know, get people on board from within mosques and say, hey, you know, you just give us a little bit of information here. And we'll make it worth your while. You know, you don't have anything to worry about. You and your family will be taken care of. And so it creates this, it creates sort of a, a stratification. So people who are in with them and people who are, who, who are against them. And so this incentivizes people to inform on people in their community. This creates mistrust with one another. This is supposed to be a place of, of you know, a mosque is supposed to be a place of refuge and, you know, peacefulness amongst amongst people who are there. But now it's becoming... A source of divisiveness, and this goes—I mean, this goes into just the the vast world of of informants as well. There's there's fifteen thousand paid informants in the U.S. right now. A lot of them, you know, they're spread out throughout throughout mosques throughout the U.S. So this is, I guess, just as a general comment, this is one of the largest issues that the Muslim community is facing right now because you're you're being treated as second class citizens. You're you know you. Um, your your houses of worship are basically now they're they're crawling with law enforcement. You're you're uh, treated as a threat first, and then a citizen second, and then conversely, when there is actual threats against our community, then there seems to be just a, a level of laxness or not really taking seriously what's going on over there. So it's playing into a lot of this as well, like in terms of how how you know just it's it's affecting every people's everyday lives and how they're you know people are not before most people could bury their heads in the sand in terms of oh i'm never going to be approached by the fbi um we actually had a presentation at a mosque a few weeks back and like an individual was was listening to us speak and this is you know uh affluent person who doesn't have any legal issues and who's a citizen and they were listening to us talking like oh yeah yeah you know that that sounds great but it'll never affect me literally within like you know two three days the fbi had approached him and uh was asking for information he's like i never thought this would happen to me so um this is you know it's 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 starting to show up much much more in what you would call like second tier metro areas like phoenix or portland and places like that Yes, because uh, so two things to, to to wrap up our our discussion here. I mean, we we had the the FBI had this aircraft flying over Dearborn, Michigan, which is like the heavily concentrated uh, Arab American right. population. Uh, so you you have the like sweeping up of 
I mean, you know they're probably grabbing the the data of people and looking for potential targets. Right. But then I guess there's a really critical question to ask as a follow-up to what you were describing there, which is, like, what is this – I mean, I, I want to try to help people understand what it's like to have this unimaginable pressure to cooperate with law enforcement on a level that most other Americans are never, ever going to have to experience. I mean, so much to the to the extent that we have – numerous stories of people saying I'm going to be placed on a no-fly list if I don't become an informant for the government. Right. Yeah, that's that's definitely a concern. So, yeah, I mean for for Muslims it's it's becoming a very very sort of untenable situation in terms of how how the um how the community is being approached here like, you know, as I said, this is not just affecting people who are directly implicated on on you know terror cases or anything like that. This is basically just a wide sweeping dragnet over the community. So, you know, we're we're hearing you know even here in Phoenix, we're hearing just cases of people you know who have no uh, no connection with any type of thing with the Garland situation being contacted and this, you have to look at what, how this plays out over time and how this affects people's lives. You know, you can, you can lose jobs over this. Like you're being, you're being followed around by law enforcement. And if law, if you're not playing ball with them, a lot of people are having, uh, difficult situations, finding jobs. If they show up on one of these, one of these types of lists, um, this is so it's 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 difficult and like praying in a mosque you don't know if the person praying next to you is trying to inform on you if you know this person is being paid by the fbi uh it's a very difficult situation there was just a case and you know this this is starting to you know this affects people and how they you know they're probably their willingness to go to certain mosques as well um, you know, you saw a case in, in Southern California. This was in the documentary by uh, Al Jazeera and Trevor, Trevor Aronson called The Informants. There's a individual, Craig Monte. He comes in and he basically, you know, he's this big, huge bodybuilder and he gets in with a group. He poses as a convert to Islam. He goes there and he he's basically talking to, to students and people see how, you know, this big buff guy, you know, I want to learn how to be uh, big and muscular like this guy. So he gets in with them and they, you know, he starts taking Muslim students to go working, go work out with one another and is collecting, well, you know, in the meantime, he's collecting data on all the people in the mosque and in, um, you know, the student groups and different associations. And this caused a lot of divisiveness in that, in that specific mosque over there. And like, it got so bad, like this guy would just call people within this peer group at, at nighttime and like, Mouth, you know, he he would be just breathing hard over the phone and talking to him and just saying jihad or you know just like Arabic words and seeing how these people would react and report back to these uh, to these individuals. The FBI was encouraging him to seduce women from the Muslim community and you know try and like sleep with them and record those interactions because then if this could be used as a shaming tactic in order to flip them into informants later on. So these are just a lot of these dirty tactics that happen here. If, you know, if you hear like the nature of the questions that people are asked in these, in these types of interviews, it's really just, you know, it's sort of revolting. Like these people 
yeah, it's it's the it, it's it plays out just like a movie. So eventually, in the Craig Monte case, the the community just came together and they they actually reported him. They called the FBI, they called the local care office, and the care office said, "Hey, you know, this guy is 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 wreaking havoc in our community, and there's somebody who's talking about doing like all this violent extremist stuff, and we wanted to report him." And the FBI guy basically said, "Okay, yeah, no problem. We're we're on it," and you know, hung up basically, and. The guy from Care LA was like, I didn't even tell you who the guy is. How do you know? So they knew that this was their guy and they knew that the jig was up essentially. But that is just a microcosm of what's going on in so many different cities. It's not big cities anymore. This is happening in middle America. This is happening in Iowa. This is happening in Toledo, Ohio. It's happening in you know Georgia. So, you know, this this really speaks to the the need for all Americans, not just Muslim Americans, to know their rights when they're dealing with law enforcement. That's why, I mean, that's what our function is, to really uh, train people to exercise their rights, to, that they know um, to speak with legal counsel before talking to uh, law enforcement, because that's that's the, the main thing that can get a lot of people in trouble and how they can get in, uh, thrown into that into that trap there. Uh, you know, the main thing that, you know, I'll close on one thing. The main thing that Muslims are being prosecuted for in a lot of these cases is providing false information to uh, a federal law enforcement agent because they they're caught off guard they're you know they think that they can invite people the agents into their house and give them you know just talk to them and you know they maybe they don't remember certain things a certain way or they misremember something and that puts them in a position where they can actually be sent to jail or they can be uh, deported or have their immigration status messed up or their spouse's immigration status, you know, so that gives the FBI leverage. They can lie to you during these interactions, but you can't, you know, you can't unknowingly even provide false information because that will result in a lot of bad things. So we encourage people to always have some type of legal counsel present uh, during these types of interactions. And, uh, and I, we can wrap, but I just want to make sure that everyone's clear that I would imagine one of the worst parts of this is that the FBI usually, nine times out of ten, I would imagine, doesn't really know what they're looking for when they're they're going. So they're going in on this fishing expedition and they're targeting individuals and just basically manipulating them because they just have this very widespread dragnet that they've cast out to try to catch people right. they don't even know. They don't even know what they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. That's why they're called fishing expeditions because you just have you have a name and you're just going out there and you're trying to you're trying to make anything stick. So, you know, they'll they've gone to certain people within this community and they've said, "Oh, you know, this guy uh the guy who did the Garland shooting was from this school of thought uh because they know that this this imam is from this school of thought." So they try to get them, you know, they try to get them off guard and try to provide that false information. Then they'll go to the next person and say they're from a completely opposite school of thought. So, they, you know, this is just creating this conversation, creating this type of uh, this type type of tension and, and mistrust that, that's really out there. So it's it's unfortunate, but that's the reality that Muslim Americans live in today. All right, Imran, thank you. I want to uh, I want to say again, you know, we appreciate you being on the show. And uh, giving us you know, an hour of your time to talk about all of these issues happening in Muslim communities. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on anytime.